Well, hello, friends. I just want to greet all of you who are watching in our campuses in New Milford, Derby, for those of you in Bethel. And um, just so great to be able to, to share with you a little bit as we step into this Advent season, if you can believe it. Let me start by saying happy Thanksgiving. Praise God. We have so much to be thankful for. But can you believe it? Now we're in our Advent season. We're approaching Christmas Day as we celebrate the gift of Jesus Christ. And I just quickly wanted to set up our new sermon series that we're calling What a Name. You know, names have meaning. For Becca and I, as we named our kids, it was probably one of the most difficult things we've ever done. A lot of people know the name right away. They have it the whole pregnancy. Not for us. We went into the hospital all four times. We couldn't figure it out all four times. We went in the hospital without a name. We had a lot of lists, you know, long list. We, even we would have the baby. We still didn't have a name. They would make us name the, the child before we took them out of the hospital. It was just so difficult for us because we know that names carry meaning and we didn't want to mess it up. And so we have four daughters. McKenna means happy one. And she is, she's a happy one. Nora means honorable. And I love that name. Reese means enthusiastic and it fits her perfectly. She was the one that was doing gymnastics in, in, in the womb the, the whole nine, 10 months. And Bria means one of strength. Names mean something. They carry deep meaning. And as we look at Jesus this Christmas, and we look at the names he's given, my prayer is that we might unwrap the gift that is Jesus in our life. Jesus is called many things. He's called Emmanuel. He's called Shepherd. He's called the one who saves. He's called my son. This is what God calls him, my son. And each week, as we look at these different names that Jesus has been given, my prayer would be that we would draw closer to him, that we would understand who he is at a greater level, and that our intimacy for him would grow as well. We have such a gift in Jesus, and he has a beautiful name, wonderful names that teach us all about who he is. And so today, uh, we're going to start this series as we talk about the name that Jesus was given, the name Messiah. And I pray that this would be a blessing to all who receive it. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Walnut Hill. Whether you're joining us online or you're in New Milford or Waterbury, we're in the valley at Derby or here in Bethel. It's great to see you this morning. I love it when we're able to meet back in person again. It's hard to believe that we've come through a couple of years of this craziness. March 2020 seemed like a long time ago, but yet it seems like a very short time ago as well. So I'm very happy that we can be meeting back together in person if you're able and understand that. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, as Brian said. Some of my fond memories as a child as a young man, uh, were, as all the cousins would get together and we'd be fed and then we would be shooed out of the house and we'd generally play a little bit of flag football. And there was a lot of horseplay. And I remember at least one broken arm during that time, not mine, but it was good memories. Good morning, my name is Clay Norman. And as Brian said, names are important. And we begin an Advent series this morning and the word or the title that we're going to use this morning that talks about Jesus is Messiah. Let me unpack that for you. 
A lot, there's a lot in the name, as I said. My paternal grandfather was uh, immigrated to this country in the late 1800s. And before he left Sweden, he was in the Swedish army. And at some point in the army, apparently the drill sergeants, there were too many Johnsons and Johansons, that they told my paternal grandfather he had to change his name. Why he chose Norman, I don't know. But he did, and I carry that name today, and I'm very glad for that. I like the name. When I was born, my parents named me Clayton. That's my given name. I go by Clay. But my Clayton was the given name. And I have asked my parents when they were alive several times, why did you name me Clayton? It doesn't mean very much. Actually, it's a English place name that means a town built of clay. Not really significant. <laughs> but at the time, I, then, I, when I was born, there was a gospel songwriter named Norman Clayton. And my parents liked him. And I think that's where I ended up getting my name from. Babies get names, as Brian described. Even in scripture, we find that babies are named and uh, the child is named. And many times, uh, in some cultures in the world today and even in older, olden times, a baby would receive two names. One, when they were born. And that would generally be a descriptive name for the baby. Beautiful, chubby, what, uh, you know, hairy, whatever it happened to be. They would then receive uh, a name later in life, or not, well, actually not too late, sometimes 40 to 60 days later, in which that would become their legal name. And that name many times would express hope for the future. And a lot of times it was not the family that, or the parents that named, it would be a, uh, a very elderly uh, or matriarch or patriarch of the family or an authority figure who, made, uh, who gave the name. And within the Bible, we see that happening very often, where God intercedes and intervenes in the life of many people and gives the name of the child before the na or as when the child is to be born. And those names become significant. It's interesting, one of David's sons was named Adonijah. And the name means the Lord is my master. There's one name that appears just in a couple of sentences in the, in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, and that's the name Jabez. And if you know anything about Jabez, his name means born in pain. How would you like to be a middle school student with that name? No, thank you. Hosea was one of the prophets. We call him a minor prophet. Minor because the length of his book was short. He had three children. God chose the name for the, each of those children because they were a significant in the life of Hosea as he prophesied against the apostasy, against the turning away from God that Israel experienced. And one of those children was named Loami, which means not my people. It was a name that was given to that child because God wanted Israel to know that they were no longer his people because of their sin. Today we live in a world that doesn't normally accept or doesn't expect names like that. Uh, we get our name in a different way. If you happen to be a Snapchat friend, you uh, know who your friends are hanging out with, you know who they are, and unfortunately you also know if you're a Snapchat fan that you know who you're, when you're excluded. 
and you wonder why. If you're an Instagram fan, you get your fans, your likes, your views, but it's a very filtered way of seeing who you are and who other people are as well. If you're a TikTok fan, well, you can see the obsessions that you have or other people can see your obsessions, good and bad, or you can see others' obsessions as well. All of us are trying to create a name for ourselves in some way. And that name may come in the form of friends that you gain or number of likes that you have. Joy is uh, always commenting that I have a lot more friends on Facebook than she, is, she has. Well, I happen to simply say, if I happen to know you, I'll like you. Joy's a little more selective, but that's fine. <laughs> we use Facebook just generally to look at our pictures of our family. During the first century, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was told this by an angel. Don't be frightened, Mary. For God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary was told to name the infant Jesus. Now, Jesus happened to be a fairly common first century name. When, when Mary also was told that she was to give uh, or to ha give the title, or she was told that Jesus would have a title, and that was the Son of the Most High. That was a name or a title that was, had quite an expectation to live up to. Now, the name that we have, Jesus, is really, it comes from the Greek and if you were to translate it back into Hebrew, which Mary would have known, it would have been uh, Joshua or Yeshua. It's the same name. And it means the Lord is my salvation. But today, and as we were singing this morning, I noticed that many times we sing Jesus Christ. Now, Christ isn't a name as far as like Clayton Norman. It's not a name or we say Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. It's not a name. Christ is actually a title. And what it means is, and it means the anointed one. And it occurs 39 times in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. The first time it occurs is in 1 Samuel. Hannah is a woman who's named, who is married to a, a gentleman named Elkanah. And between them, they don't have children. Well, Hannah does not have children. Elkanah has, another, has two wives. And his other wife is bearing children, and Hannah is desperate to have a child. And she pleads with God for a child, and God grants her her request, and a child is born. We know that child by the name Samuel. When Hannah takes Samuel to the temple to leave with Eli, because she had promised God that when the child was born, if the child was born, that she would dedicate this child to the Lord. She sings a song, or it's kind of a song prayer. The last line of it goes, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. There's the first place in the Hebrew scriptures in which 
the term Messiah, his anointed or the anointed one occurs. Hannah was the first one to see, to hear, not to see, but to hear the name of the Messiah that was to come. And typically the anointed one, that name would be used of a priest or a king. This was royalty. Hannah goes on and sings the song and dedicates Eli to the, or dedicates Samuel to the Lord and he is raised and becomes one of the major prophets within Israel. So Hannah is the first one that prophesies about the Messiah, the coming one. But Mary is the first one to know the identity of that individual, Jesus. If we look at this Jesus, this anointed one from the eyes of Hannah and Mary, we see not a royalty, but we see one who is going to turn the power, turn the tables of power in the world. Because he will come as an, a mighty one, but he's going to lift up the humble and he's going to humiliate the powerful. He will become the savior of his people. So the question I must ask is, who is this anointed one? What is he like? And what is the difference does it make to us? Well, we know from the story of Christmas that this anointed one, this Messiah, was born in poverty. He was not wrapped in royal clothes as a, as a royal person, as a king, as a royalty should have been. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was not laid in a royal bed. He was laid in a borrowed manger, the trough out of which animals feed. He was, the first people to come to see him were not high officials, but shepherds, some despised people within the culture of that time. When we know, read through the Christmas story, we know that there was no room in the inn and I wish I had time to talk about what that really means. It's exciting. But I think God was intentional when Mary and Joseph and the soon to be born baby Jesus had to find a home in a stable because God intended that this anointed one, this royalty would understand what it is like to be oppressed and to live in poverty and to live in obscurity. He knew what it was like to be marginalized so he could identify with us. It's tragic that those very people that should have known who this royal king was and treated him like a king did not show up at his birth. It was shepherds. And it was those same people that should have shown up that later would have taken the anointed one and handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. They did not understand that this anointed one was to be the prince of peace. They did not, what they did not see was that the anointed one was also going to be a suffering servant. And as a result of that, they wanted a political savior, not a suffering servant. And they misunderstood the nature of the anointed one. You know, today we're not very much different. Recent surveys said that 52% of American adults think that Jesus is a good teacher and nothing else. 
Well, if that's true, we have a problem. As the scriptures this morning were read, Jesus took his disciples north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's up in the northern part, almost as far north in Israel as you can get. It's beautiful. It sits at the base of Mount Hermon. I'd love to take you there. Actually, Craig Mowry and I are going to be leading a group to Israel next uh, late June and into July of next year. I'd love to take you along and take you to Caesarea Philippi and tell you more of this story. But Jesus had taken his disciples there and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they gave him an answer. And then he looked at the disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? Peter being the spokesman for the disciples said, you are the Christ or you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I want you to notice if you listen to the scriptures and if you look into the scriptures, I want you to notice something that Jesus did not do at that point. He didn't say, Peter, whoa, wait a minute, that's a big title. Uh, No, I'm not going to claim that. Jesus did exactly the opposite. He claimed that title. He said, yes, Peter, you are right. In fact, you are so right because it was God that told you who I am. And the result is, is that Jesus accepted the title of Messiah, the anointed one, the king. Notice that Peter also says that you are the son of the living God, which means that this is God, you are God come in the flesh. Jesus was accepting what Peter said of him. And I want you to understand that what Peter said was very true. And it's not the only place that this occurs because in John chapter 20, John says the following. These are written, and he's speaking of the previous 19 chapters in in the book of John. He said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. Jesus is claiming to be God. The question we have to ask ourselves, is it true, or is he just a good teacher? Well, if he's claiming to be God, he can't be just a good teacher because he would either be delusional or devious in what he's saying if he's claiming to be God. I like the way that C.S. Lewis puts it because it forces us to make a decision. Either he is who he says he is, the Messiah, or he is a lunatic or a liar we are forced to make a decision. Have you ever watched the pomp and pageantry that goes along with a royal wedding or uh, the coronation of a king or queen? It's amazing, the the pageantry, the the dress, uh, everything that goes along, it is first rate. It is amazing just the amount of money that is spent, the opulence that is there, and the ceremony and all of the, the pageantry that goes along with it. Yet this anointed one, this king of kings that we worship and that we celebrate the birth of at this time of year was born in obscurity. He was born in Bethlehem. It's only five miles from Jerusalem, the royal capital. But yet it was a minor town of only several hundred, maybe a thousand people at the most. And it was a town that 
was obscure as far as the history of Israel goes as well. Some minor things came there. David was born there, but it didn't play a prominent place. The only pomp, you could say, the only people that celebrated the birth carried with them the smell of sheep as the shepherds came. His parents were poor. When they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, they had to offer two doves instead of two and a sheep because they couldn't afford it. And Jesus went on and lived the first 30 years of his life in obscurity. And this was all so that he, we, know, we can know that he knows what it's like. But how does this all impact us? First, the circumstances of Jesus' birth did not dictate how he saw himself so he can see us as we are. I love the song, and I'm not going to be able to uh, quote it I, I was, as I was sitting there worshiping and, and singing with it, that he knows he can take even our, the baggage that we carry and make it beautiful because he carried baggage as well. Not the baggage of sin, but the baggage of being in obscurity. The baggage of having grown up and being misunderstood. He focused constantly on who he was, the son of God. Not on the circumstances that he found himself in or the unsettling situations that he found himself in. He kept his eyes focused and the end result was is that God gave him courage in the same way that he can give you and I courage as we keep our eyes on the anointed one. It's fascinating to me as I read through the Gospel of John, there's a number of statements that Jesus makes about himself because he, secondly, is a dividing line. He claims to be the bread of life. During the first century, bread was the staple that most people ate. It was the poor people, bread, barley was the poor people's bread. And it was much, uh, most of what they ate. But in claiming to be the bread of life, Jesus was claiming to be the sustenance, the, the what we need in our spiritual lives. He claimed to be the good shepherd. This Messiah who was born in a sheepfold is really the anointed one who wants to lead us in a good way to where he wants us to go. He claimed to be the light of the world. He is our guide during dark times and we all face those dark times from time to time. He goes on and he says he is the door to the sheepfold. He's our protector. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the only one, the only one who has the power over death. He claims to be the true vine and it's only when we're abiding in him, when we're connected to the vine, that we have, that his life can flow through us. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that has the true knowledge and the true understanding of who God is. Third, he is royalty. And as royalty, we would expect, well, King Charles now, I don't think he understands what it may be like to live from paycheck to paycheck. He doesn't understand what it's like to eat beans and rice one night and rice and beans the next night and then beans and rice again. But Jesus did. As royalty, he was born, as I mentioned, in obscurity. He grew up in poverty. 
He was a nobody. He was marginalized. And I know what that feels like. In second and third grade on the playground, I was always picked last. And that stung. And Jesus knows what that's like. That's what it means to be the anointed one. Fourth, Jesus never used his title, the anointed one of Messiah, to his advantage. He never used it as a weapon in the same way that we shouldn't use who we are as a weapon against other people. Paul, in a passage in Philippians, the second chapter, makes this incredible statement about Jesus. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ, there's that word Messiah, the anointed one, Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He was born a king, the anointed one, yet he lived in a way that helped us and provided for us not only our salvation, but walks with us day by day today as well. And finally, we must understand that this position of anointed one must be viewed from God's perspective. Remember that passage that we talked about up in Caesarea Philippi, where Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God? Shortly afterwards, Jesus begins to tell his disciples, he said, you're right about who I am, but this is what's going to happen to me. I'm, we're going to head to Jerusalem and uh, we're, what I'm going to do when I get, or what's going to happen to me when I get there, is, is that I'm going to be arrested, beaten, crucified, and buried. Peter grabs him and takes him aside and says, wait a minute, that's so new. Whoa, that, that's not what I'm thinking about. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. Peter was looking at it from a human perspective. He did not understand what God had as intended in that Jesus, as the anointed one, the royal king, was going to have to suffer and die as the suffering servant. Judas didn't get it either. By the time they got to Jerusalem, Judas had been watching what was happening in Jesus' life and saw this unfolding what he thought was a tragedy and went to the, the religious rulers and ratted Jesus out. Peter eventually got it because we know from the book of Acts that he finally understood after he humbled himself and came back to God and asked for forgiveness and God in Jesus restored him. Peter understood from God's perspective what had happened. Unfortunately, Judas never did. Today, the birth of the Messiah demands a decision. A decision that each of us have to make and I have to make as well. Is he going to be the Messiah, the King, the anointed one in my life in all ways, at all times? Is he going to be in yours as well? You see, this anointed one wants to live in your life. And I can't think of a better present for him this Christmas season than if you do not know him, if you were to tell him, I surrender to you and you 
can become the anointed one, the king in my life. I can't think of a better present for him. You see, when that happens, we give him command of our, of our lives to him. We give him respect. Many of you, some of you may know that I spent 33 years flying airplanes for a living. The last 21 years of my life, or my aviation career, were spent with a major airline. And as most pilots um, for a major airline, you start as a, what's called a co-pilot. I had three, three stripes on my sleeve, which was the symbol of my authority. After about a dozen years, I upgraded to captain. And when you become a captain, you put on a force stripe. And your hat, that you, which is the symbol of your authority, has a lot of what we call scrambled eggs on the brim of your hat. I was amazed when I put that fourth stripe on, when I put that jacket on and walked through the terminal, and walked up to the airplane to the counter. I was amazed at the difference of how I was treated because I was now the captain. That was the respect that my position carried with it. I wonder today if you have that same respect, allow Jesus in your life to carry that same authority that he wants because he is the anointed one, the Messiah. As we were singing this morning and I was sitting on that front row, I was asking myself the same question. Because I'm no different than you. Those are feet of clay. Jesus, or Matthew, begins his uh, gospel with a list of Jesus' ancestors. The one thing he wants to prove out of listing those group of people, it's quite a long list, that Jesus was royalty. Does he hold the authority in my life, in your life? Does he carry the respect in your life, in my life, that he should? He wants to be the captain. He wants to be the anointed one, the Messiah. Will you let him? Will I let him? As the worship team comes, let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we want to say thank you. Thank you that it was your son who came in, in poverty in obscurity as the anointed one so that he would understand what it's like to be eating beans and rice and then rice and beans so that he would understand what it is like to be shunned to be snubbed so that we can have a savior who identifies with us so thank you father that you have allowed him to come as the anointed one, the royalty that he is, and as he eventually will show his kingship, we pray that he would, we would follow him in everything we do and say. We would give him the respect that is due him because he is Messiah. Amen.